And by the way, if you think it's easy getting up here, it's not. So just to, to the singing or even the preaching. To be honest with you, sometimes on Sunday mornings I get a little nauseated because I know that it's my time pretty soon, and I'm always thinking maybe the rapture will take place. I thought about earlier, you know, when I was just kidding about the singing, by the way, I wouldn't put that upon you uh, earlier this morning with a little bit of a glitch in the time with the music. But I, I can't sing very well, but I can speak. And so uh, I'll maybe have to work on my speaking ability a little bit better, maybe when I get into my 70s. I'll be 62 coming up this summer and uh, looking forward to uh, continuing to preach. I want you to look at your Bibles, if you would to the book of John, and let's just get done with this. We have maybe 30 minutes here. We'll be on our way to Culver's or whatever, and uh, looking forward to getting out and having something to eat. But until then, just endure the message uh, if you can. Honestly, though, I, I really think that if you listen well, I can help you concerning this particular portion of Scripture um, I want to read to you the main verse again. They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him, Jesus. And they cried, Hosanna, which means save us. And blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct this morning and that you'd help us to understand more of what Palm Sunday is all about in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to know in the context of this, if we look at uh, John's and his account of this particular story that, that we're, we're actually dealing with what took place at Bethany. Um, and, and again, it was not too far away from Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley. But um, as I'm learning uh, how it is topographically, you had to walk up to Bethany. Um, and, and again, you're walking down into the valley across the Kidron Valley and up into Bethany. And I've never been there, but someday I want to be able to see that. There is a family there, uh, Lazarus, and many of you heard of the raising of Lazarus and how he was raised from the dead. And, of course, Jesus comes in. He's going to eat with these folks. He felt uh, at home there. Uh, he was among those that were down and out, as we'll see in just a moment. But uh, what was happening was that, verse number 2, it says that, that there made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, and then took Mary, of course, a pound of ointment. And so you see the, the family's all present. Mary is one of those, Mary... Um, is not the same Mary that we would actually look to Mary Magdalene. The world gets the Marys mixed up because you don't really realize that almost half of the people were named Mary as far as the women uh, in the New Testament. I want to just give you six of them. First of all, there was Mary, the mother of Jesus, the daughter of Heli, the cousin of Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist. And that's in Luke chapter 1, verse number 36. That's the Mary that we remember, the, the, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ and the cousin of Elizabeth. And then there was the Mary uh, that was the sister of Martha here and Lazarus who lived in, in, uh, in Bethany. And, and again, this particular account, but also uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse number 30, uh, chapter 18, verse number 39, gives us that understanding a little bit more of that Mary. And then there was what they call the other Mary. Uh, there was the wife of Clopas, the mother of James, the less, and Joseph. That's in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 56, brings out that Mary. There was also the Mary uh, of, of, of the mother of John Mark. 
and uh, the aunt of Barnabas, pretty, pretty strong. There was a family unit there, and of course, Mark gives us the account, um, and we read about that in Acts 12.12, and also Colossians 4.10 gives us the understanding of that particular Mary. But also there was the Mary of Rome, um, and then she actually sent greetings by Paul in his letter to the church at Rome, that's in Romans 16, verse number 6, and so that's the fifth Mary. Then the sixth one, of course, is Mary Magdalene, we're probably familiar with her also, referred to as Mary the so-called Magdalene, and Luke uh, mentions that at Jesus. Of course, she was present uh, when Jesus was hanging on the cross with the other Marys that were involved there as they were watching him. So we understand that there is a little bit of a discrepancy with our understanding a lot of times of this particular account and think that this was Mary Magdalene, and it wasn't. Mary Magdalene uh, is, is a lady of the streets who got saved and was full of demons. And, of course, she was the first one to actually see Jesus after he was resurrected. And so there is no respecter of people with God. If you come to him and you humbly bow before him, he will save you. And he will give you, of course, of his divine nature, the Holy Spirit, to be able to live within you. But to be able to make a good setting here, uh, Palm Sunday took place. I'm going to give you the whole chapter to consider. Uh, as we read it this morning, the Lord stopped in Bethany one of the last times that he stopped. And it was a place where he had quite, was quite familiar with. And he was at ease, of course, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it's interesting because this particular um, Bethany, if you would, that particular place um, was east of the Jordan. Uh, it was a village situation on the eastern slope of Mount, Mount Olive. Uh, 15 furloughs, so that would be about one and, a half, one and a half miles from the city of Jerusalem. It was also called the House of Misery on account that it's lowly situation and all the people that were there, the ones that were actually chosen, Simon the leper lived there. We know that, uh, that Mary and Martha lived there, Lazarus, but they were not rich people. This was not a place of elegance. This was not a place of education. This was not a place that you would think that Jesus would go. And Jesus says about to eat supper, uh, if you would, with the dead man who had came back to life and Martha was serving while Lazarus kind of sat at the table. And then Mary, of course, got a pound of her best ointment. Uh, it was very expensive. And he was, she was able to put it on the feet of Jesus. The whole house smelled wonderful. Uh, from the ointment and the setting of the sun, perhaps it was a cool situation, a cool evening as the, as the wind came into the concrete casements, if you would, of the home. And it, 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 it did not take long for the voice of opposition to come, because we know in the passage where Judas Iscariot comes out and talks about how uh, the Bible records then gives us an understanding that he's saying, you know, this should have went to the poor uh, you know, and the needy, and um, of course we know that he actually carried the money bags, and so he was more concerned about the money rather than the people because he was a deceiver. And so Jesus told Judas in the past, he said, leave her alone. He knew that he had been saving this, or she had been saving this special ointment for the burial of Jesus, which really is a prophetic thing. He's speaking to them and letting them know that he is going to be crucified. By this time, there had been quite a crowd outside around the Lord. and Many came to see Lazarus because he was once dead and now he's alive. And meanwhile, the chief priests even talked about 
killing Lazarus along with Jesus because many believed in Jesus Christ due to the raising of Lazarus. And so they were very jealous, the priests were, and they were thinking, how can we get rid of Jesus without getting rid of, um, of Lazarus? And so that was their scheming, if you would. Uh, the very next day is what we celebrate uh, Palm Sunday. And as I was saying earlier, that the Bible actually gives us a description of this. If you want to turn in your Bibles with me over there to Mark chapter 11, we can go through a little bit more of the understanding of what is happening with Jesus Christ and being able to understand that this is a particular uh, prophecy that's being fulfilled now. Uh, and the Lord Jesus is coming uh, out of Bethany. And uh, the Bible says in verse number 1 of Mark chapter 11, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethany, or Bethphage and Bethany, at that Mount of Olives he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered in, you shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. I think it's interesting when we think about that particular understanding that Mark gets to us is that there was an issue about this particular donkey never had someone sit on him before because it was a Jewish custom if you want to hold your place there in Mark and let's look back at 1 Kings chapter number 1. Uh, verse number 32, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but this gives us an account and an understanding of, the, of why he chose a small donkey, if you would, to sit upon as he walked into Jerusalem. The Bible says in verse number 32 of 1 Kings chapter 1, And David said, Call me Zadok, the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, and the son, uh, uh, the, the son of Josadiah, or Jeho, Jehoiada. And, and they came before the king. And the king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon, my son, to ride upon mine own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And again, the king would have, it was a tradition for them to be able to have, uh, if you would, um, uh, a mule that they would ride on. They could ride a horse too. But many times when they rode a horse, it meant that there was going to be war. But when he came in peace, he would ride upon a donkey and would be able to come in at, at a little bit less uh, showing his strength. And I, again, the Bible explains it in Zechariah 9, uh, verse number 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king comes unto thee. He is just. He having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass or donkey, upon the colt of the foal of a donkey, and gives us a little bit more of an understanding of that, that there was going to be the Lord Jesus Christ on a donkey coming into the city of Jerusalem. And look at verse number 3. It says, If any man say unto him, Why do you do this? You should uh, you say ye that the Lord hath need of him. Uh, the modern-day text would use the word it, uh, I, I, I don't know why, um, but look into that maybe a little bit. Straightway or immediately, he will send him hither. And uh, so they went their way and found a colt tied by the door without the, uh, in, in a place uh, where the two ways met. And they loosed him, and a certain of them 
that stood there said unto them, what are you doing and loosening the colt? And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded, that they let them go. And they let them go because Jesus commanded this. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him as he sat upon, as he sat upon the donkey and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches of trees and, and strawed them in the way, or laid them in the way. And uh, they went before, uh, and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked round about all the things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And so here's the account of him, of him actually seeing the people that actually took the branches. And by the way, uh, there's victory, uh, Hosanna, um, and again, him coming. But there, with the palm branches, there is a understanding that this is a sign of victory. We talked about uh, how that uh, in the Old Testament they made what they call the the Feast of Booths, and they would actually make small booths and they would go into them. They would make it with palm branches and willow branches, and uh, and how that we call a weeping willow. And so we understand that there's victory and and also times of weeping in life because that's just the way life is. If you think life is all good. Um, you're, you're on something because it's not always good all the time. And so we know that the struggles were there. And uh, what I love about it is that in the book of Revelation, the, the willow tree is gone and there is just the palm branches in heaven because there is victory in Jesus Christ. And so we have this understanding as a believer to be able to enjoy that. And I think it's interesting, too, because this was done in the Old Testament. If you want to turn over to 2 Kings chapter number 9, uh, if you have your Bible, you want to turn there, you can, verse number 1. And we know that Elijah here, uh, the prophet, called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up my loins and take this box of oil in thine hand and go to Ramath Gilead. And when he cometh thither, uh, look out there Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, uh, and go in and make him arise up among his brethren and carry him, him to the inner chamber. So there's about ready to do a, a coronation, if you would, of him being a king that is anointed by God. And so this is a pretty exciting time because Israel needed a king to guide them to be able to look to. And verse number three says, and then take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, I think 2,000 times the Bible says, thus saith the Lord uh, in the Old Testament. And so we know that this is from above. I have anointed thee king over Israel and then opened the door and flee and tarry not. And so you have this understanding of the anointing of, of uh, if you would, the coronation of Jehu. In fact, the same chapter, chapter 9, verse number 11 says, Then Jehu came forth to the servants of his Lord, and one said unto him, Is all well? Again, wherefore came this and the fellow to thee? And he said unto them, You know uh, the man and his communication. And they said, Is it false? 
tell us now. And he said, thus and thus spake he to me, saying, thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Look at verse 13. And then they hasted and took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs and then blew the trumpet saying, Jehu is king. And so the garments and the branches that were actually put down so Jesus could come in was significant, um, not just because he was going to be the anointed king, because he is going to be and was the anointing one, the Messiah, which means anointed one. And so this was a clue to them that knew the Bible, that this was Jesus the Messiah that was able to come into Jerusalem and then be actually the Savior of the world. And I, I said this morning that, that Mark, Mark uh, is, is divided into three groups, um, 11 through chapter 16, is actually the last segment, if you would, or the last third, and it, it, it just covers seven days of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection. And, and I would say probably because John Mark got the second opportunity to be able to serve the Lord, and he wanted to make the most of it because the gospel is the main thing in the story of the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because this hasn't happened to anybody else before, neither has it happened to anybody since. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and he is the only way to heaven, and that's what made our country great, this understanding that the church was going to be built upon the truth that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And so he's coming in to the city. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. But what's interesting about the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king comes unto thee. And so you can imagine what it was like when the people were there and made mostly up of children and maybe a few men. There were not soldiers. It was not uh, this, this presence of military. We're going to go in and take over Jerusalem because the kingdom of God was completely different. He was going to build a kingdom of peace and joy. He was going to change the hearts of people. Lay down your sword because Jesus is coming. Put your garment down. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What's interesting is that actually mentions here rejoice greatly. Of course, this is the prophecy explained, and I think it's explained really well in Matthew 21, verse number 5. But it also says, behold thy king, not Zerubbabel, for he was never king, nor was they, they had a king except Jesus Christ for, from the days of Zedekiah to the present time. And so there is a period of time here um, where there was no king. The Old Testament went to a long time without a king, and we know that the last king was taken by Nebuchadnezzar, Zedekiah, a horrible, horrible thing that had happened. He was taken into captivity and he had his eyes uh, plucked out, Zedekiah did, the king of Israel. And, uh, of course, that's what the uh, Nebuchadnezzar allowed, um, the king of Babylon. But it says he is the just one. And that means that he is the one that is the fountain of righteousness. He is the one who has true righteousness, which can only be 
given from him. You can't accumulate your own righteousness. You can work all the way till your death and do really good, but you never can have enough righteousness to get to heaven. That Jesus Christ is the only way. But having salvation, it says right in the text, uh, Zechariah 9, 9, he alone can save from sin, uh, from Satan, and save you from death and hell. Jesus Christ is the only one. And he said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. And, but he comes lowly, that's what it says, without worldly plomp or, or splendor, with a band playing or whatever, for neither his kingdom nor that his followers were going to be of this world. And so riding upon a donkey, and this is the part that, that got me, God had commanded the kings of Israel not to multiply the horses. The kings uh, who broke this commandment were miserable themselves, the scourgers to the people. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And he, had, he, and he in his title, of king rode upon a horse, if you did that, it would have been a breach of the positive command of God. And therefore, he rode upon a donkey and thus fulfilled the prophecy and kept that particular precept unbroken. That there begins the prophecy of the Messiah in his kingdom. And Christ rides then triumphantly into Jerusalem very slow. And so the first thing I want you to think about is that this king, according to the scriptures, was promised. And so, first of all, he was promised to us that he was going to come. That's we look at Zechariah. We understand this um, as a matter of great joy to the Old Testament church, if you would, or the gathering and the people. Behold, thy kingdom comes unto thee. Christ is the king, invested in a great or regal powers uh, of his sovereign uh, princehood, if you would. Um, and part of the monarch, having all power in heaven and on earth. He is Zion's king. Uh, God has set him upon his holy hill in, in Psalm 2, verse number 6. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And, and so in Zion, then, is the glory of the king, and he shines there. His law went forth, even uh, the word of the Lord in the gospel church, the day we live in now, his spiritual kingdom is administered. It is by him that the ordinance of the churches are instituted and the officers are commissioned and it is taken under the, his protection and he is preeminent in his church. We don't make decisions. We stay behind the cloud of God's providence and have to conduct the, the, by grace, the, 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 the church that God has given us to, to pastor here, we have a group of men that come together and we make these decisions and it is a consensus before we bring it to the church people. But ultimately, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ fights the church's battles and remember that, that he is in charge of everything and all through the COVID confusion, his church is tri triumphant and it continues to go on and no matter how difficult it will become at times, he cannot destroy the church. Satan will try to cause all kinds of confusion, but he will not win. Someone said this, this king has been long in coming, but now behold, he comes, he is at the door. There are but a few ages more to run out and he that shall come will come. He comes unto thee. The, world, the word will shortly be made flesh and dwell within thy borders, and he will come to his own. 
and therefore rejoice, rejoice greatly, and shout for joy, and look upon it as good news, and be assured that he is on his way towards thee, and be ready to go forth to meet him, like these in the text, with acclamations of joy, as one not able to conceal it, and so great, nor ashamed to own it, it is, it is so just for you to cry, Hosanna to him. Rightly so, because Christ approaches now, uh, if you would, his gathering and his assembling of his people. They're applauding him. They come down and, and put down the, 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 the branches of the palm trees, but also their garments they put down because there was a desire to receive him and to be able to enjoy that coming. They knew that salvation was no other way but the Lord Jesus Christ, and many were there that believed in him. And probably because of all of the miracles and the raising of Lazarus. And so we have never seen these things, but we read about them. And uh, I think it's interesting. Number two, also the king is coming, if you would. But this king is described. Uh, He is a righteous ruler, the text says. And so all his acts are basically governed uh, exactly according to the rules of equity and will be just. And our culture today is crying out for equity. They have seen nothing yet because the king of kings is going to come. And he is the true equity. He is the true equal one. And he will be able to take those that are actually lying behind the scenes and trying to destroy our nation. And they will face God, the God of heaven. I think so many times we warp things. And this world culture, culture does that. And they try to... They try to, get it, try to feed it to the media and feed it to us. And so we think that there's no hope, but there is hope. Because we believe in the righteous one, who is Jesus Christ. It also says he is the power, powerful pro- protector, if you would, to all those that bear the faith and true allegiance to him. He has salvation for them. He is their power. He gives them strength during times of trouble. He is our God. All the treasures of salvation are in him. Uh, He is the saving one. He rises out of the grave by his own power and so qualifies himself to be the Savior because of obeying his Father in heaven. But also he is meek and lowly. It gets interesting as we think about him being meek and lowly. Uh, Riding upon a donkey means he's humble. He's the tender father of all of his children, if you would. I like what Andrew Murray said concerning humility, which is needed for us to remember that God desires for us to stay humble. You see, because when pride moves in, God moves out. Contention only comes by one road, and that's by pride. And when you have difficulties and misunderstandings and you have frustrations with people, there's pride involved most of the time. Andrew Murray said, humility is perfect quietness, quietness of heart. It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated or sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at best when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised for something I didn't do. It is to have the blessed home 
in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in a secret place and be at peace as in a deep seam of calmness where all around me is troubled and destroying things. It is the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ's redemptive work on Calvary's cross manifested in those who who owe who are definitely subjects of his spirit. And I think it's important for us to know that humility will always reflect spiritual power from God. I believe that's why Jesus enjoyed going to Bethany and he chose to eat there on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified because he wanted to be with those that were lowly of heart, those that were humble. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ We see that he was meek and lowly, and so it denotes uh, the meanness of his condition, if you would. Having emptied himself, he was despised and rejected of men, but yet he was at peace about it. The evangelist translates it to as express the temper of his spirit. He is meek, not taking state upon, upon him, nor resenting injuries, but humbling himself from first to last, condescending to the mean, compassionate, to the miserable, he went and stooped to the lowest. This was a bright and excellent character of him as a prophet. And as he said, learn of me, come unto me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I think it's important for us to remember that he chose to ride, not upon a stately horse or chariot, as great men would used to ride, but he chose a donkey, the beast of burden, a poor, silly, maybe an unruly one because it was the colt of an ass, a little foolish, unmanageable thing that would be more likely to disgrace his rider than to be any credit to him because he needs no credit at all. He is God incarnate coming into Jerusalem to save you from your sin and to save me from my sin and foolishness. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting when we think about it because it gives us an understanding of also the kingdom, if you would, that this king has a kingdom and and he will have a kingdom. Not, Not of this world, but a spiritual kingdom. And I think, first of all, uh, it, it, w- it shall not be set up and advanced by external forces. It was not by the arm of flesh or carnal weapons. No. Uh, he, he, he mentions that in Zechariah 9.10 because he goes on to say that he was going to cut off the chariots of Ephraim and the horses. For he shall have no occasion for them while he himself rides upon a donkey. He will in kindness to his people cut off their horses and chariots so that they may not cut themselves off from God putting the confidence in them which they should be actually having the power of the Almighty God living within them. He will himself undertake their protection, will himself be a fire about Jerusalem and give his angels charge 
over them. And put your confidence not in chariots, if you would, in horses, and not in princes, but put your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shouldn't be hoping for some change in the White House, thinking that's going to change everything. What's more important is what's going on in God's house this morning. What's important for our kingdom is an understanding that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and he came to save all men. And you have the privilege of knowing him. And certainly we should be able to then take that to a dying world. It's not a popular thing to follow Jesus. It never has been, it never will be. You, know, you take maybe the high road and you believe you're supposed to do something and then it seems like the world wants to make fun of you and tell you that you're ignorant and tell you that you're not, you got a crutch You go to church every Sunday, so you're one of those kind of people. Just wait. You should weep over them. Because you know the truth. And you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ someday, but so will they. It shall be established by the preaching of the gospel, this kingdom. The speaking of peace to a lost and dying world. For Christ came and preached peace to those that were afar off and to those that were nigh. And so established the kingdom by proclaiming on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And I think every Christian in this room that understands this ought to walk into every situation with peace and not contention. If your heart is full of contention this morning, that the problem is not the people. You. It's so funny because we get so full of ourselves that we think everybody else has got the problem except for us. It's just the way it is. And so we go see people who, who are mixed up themselves, and, and we go to them, and the Bible says we shouldn't do it, because blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But we go to these quote-unquote knowledgeable people and quote-unquote experts in the area of psychology, and they can't help you. They're mixed up. Trace their steps. Look at them. Analyze them. You become the question person, okay, the next time you go in. And ask them how their kids are doing. There's no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And I want us to know this morning that this particular peace is necessary for your heart. I like what Mark said last week. Christianity isn't from here to here. It's from here to here. Christ living within you gives you the ability to be able to learn and understand. His kingdom, as far as it prevails in the hearts of men, and has, of course, ascended and has and will constantly uh, ascend this peaceableness and also, he will destroy his enemies. And he will cut off the battle bow, if you would, and beat down the swords. And it will not only command peace, but it will create the fruit of the lips to be able to say good things and encouraging things. And this convicted me when I was studying this, because do I exhibit the peace and the joy of the Almighty God? You know, we live in a really, really strange culture today. And we're pressed upon as believers. We have spiritual warfare like none other generation. We have wicked people in charge. We have the evil dark side trying to win, and all in the name of saying we're going to do this for good, and they're lying to us. 
Because to have a country where you can worship our God and we can preach the gospel, we can print Bibles, we can send missionaries out, is why God has blessed America for so long. But for some reason, they think if we become like the world, that everything's going to be fine. No, you can't make a difference unless you're different. So it shall extend itself to all parts of the world, but it will do so in defiance of opposition. That you can actually give the gospel to anybody at any time. You know what I think is neat? Is that God is bringing the mission field to America. We haven't, we're having all kinds of people coming to America. Well, let's get the gospel out. Let's stop complaining and take tracts to the border. Let's take Bibles to the border. That'd be a good title of it. Bibles at the border ministry. Why can't we? Because we're caught up in the opposition of it all and the negativity of it. Number four, it shall extend itself to all parts of the world in defiance of the opposition given to it. Someone said that the chariot and the horse had come against Ephraim and Jerusalem to oppose the progress of Zion's king. And that particular group of people will be cut off and his gospel shall be preached to the world and be received among the lost so that his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to river, even unto the ends of the world, as was foretold by David in Psalm 72, verse number eight. The preachers of the gospel shall carry it from one country, one island to the other, till some of the remotest corners of the world are enlightened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why he walked into Jerusalem. And this is what he sparked. He sparked what we call the gospel. And we're going to talk about it next week of the resurrection, of course. And he was beaten beyond measure. And we'll talk about that next Sunday to help us understand a little bit more of what Easter Sunday is all about. But as we march on, let us know that this king in which we put our trust is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he alone will be your help and your strength. Let me talk about the king's gift for a moment. He brought a gift with him. It's called redemption. From extreme misery, typified by the deliverance of the Jews out of their captivity, and then from... Uh, from Babylon back to Jerusalem and Zechariah 9:11, and as really helping us understand that God will bring us out of that pit of despair. Because you know and I know that down within our hearts, we cannot be saved without some kind of external help. Because we can't save ourselves. You, you can't by intellect, you can't by wisdom. The only thing that will save you is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I like what the psalmist said. Acting as if he was in spiritual prison. And then he said, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he put a new song in my mouth and even praise unto our God and many shall see it and they will fear and shall trust in the Lord. I think about how that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to be able to save those that are lost. He's come our way. I remember dealing with a young man years ago um, who had 
done something horrible. Um, and I instructed him to read the book of Romans, and he did. And he understood that every man is a sinner. And it's so simple because chapter 3, it tells us uh, in verse number 10 and in verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we understand that we are. And he understood it as he read it. And he came in and he said, I understand that I'm a sinner, so I'm going to go call my priest. I think it's time for me to call him and confess to him what I did. And I said, well, what is that going to do? He said, well, he's going to forgive me. I said, your priest can't forgive you. And your priest is going to stand before God someday as a fake and a fraud. Now, if that hurts you, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the Christ Jesus the Lord. And from your early years, when you began to talk, they should have taught you to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I sing it almost every single night. You know why? Because i got a little granddaughter living at our house. And I'll take Winona up, and I found a, a little small place as I looked up on uh, the computer, you know. And, and I'm getting a little better with computers and things as I get older. And someday I want to be able to, to be really good. But until then, I, I put on the screen these little small animated people singing Jesus Loves Me. And her mouth is wide open. And you know what she wants to do every single night now? Papa, Papa, I know what she wants. She wants me to turn it on. So I, she kind of just melts into my arm here, you know. And I put it up on the screen, and we sing Jesus Loves Me together. She has an opportunity to understand who Jesus is. How many people around the world never had that opportunity? We are so blessed. We are so blessed to understand the true meaning of Jesus coming into Zion as the king of his kingdom. And and by the way, he doesn't turn anyone away if you come to him. I don't care how you feel, you know. Feelings are important, but you know what? Sometimes your feelings can control you. You ever have someone say, well, I feel this is right. And you want to say, well, I feel like you're wrong. (laughs) What the Bible says is true. I remember talking to him a little further, and I said, you've got to keep reading, and he did. And he came back, and he said, the Bible makes it clear, Dean, that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. I read that tonight. I said, that's wonderful, Larry. I said, but there's more. He said, should I read? I said, yeah, keep reading. You know, when he came back to me, and he said, I found out that the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I looked at Larry Sabinsky right in the face, and I said, you got it. And you know what he said? Wait a minute, there's more. I got on my knees next to my bunk. I didn't care who was watching me, and I confessed my sins to God. And I asked Jesus Christ to save me. I don't know where Larry is today. He was a tobacco-chewing, John Wayne kind of Marine But I don't know where he's at today. But I know where he's going to be someday. With me. In a place called heaven. Because we've trusted the king of kings and the lord of lords. We didn't have to do all kinds of things to come to him. Neither did the man on the cross. Just simply gave him his heart. Remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Pretty simple, isn't it? You didn't have to come down and do all kinds of catechism and 
all kinds of things to gain grace. It was just simply, remember me. He acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah. I think about Larry, the last conversation I had with him. He said, Dean, and he took a little pen, and he, he drew a picture, and he said, I wonder if heaven is like this. He drew a throne with the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle, and then he drew houses around it, then more houses around it, then more houses around it. He said, I wonder where your house is going to be. He said, I never thought about it, but I hope it's closer to Jesus. Larry was saying, I hope that I can actually be near you when I get to heaven. We had a guy come to our church named Lee Blanchard. You might remember him. He came here to Grace Baptist Church. He shook hands every Sunday, and then he was gone. And he came back about two months later, and he said, I've been to every church in Madison, and this is the place where God wants me to be. He put his whole heart into this place. He wired so we have the ability to, to watch the screen up there when we're on the platform. We don't have to keep looking out over our shoulders. He wired some stuff downstairs. He, can, he took care of our garage, and he built some things to help us with, with so many. But then one day he came in, and he was not able to talk very well. And uh, it, didn't, it wasn't very long. I think he might have been here for two years, uh, maybe two and a half years. It got to the point where he couldn't communicate, and he was kind of embarrassed. And so I took my tablet to Denny's on Tuesday mornings where he was normally, and I put it up there so he could see us having our devotion time as men. Lee wanted to be able to be with us, but he couldn't. COVID struck, and he passed away with Lou Gehrig's disease. But before he died, he came to my office, and he had a little rag in his hand, and he'd say, I wonder what heaven's going to be like. Pretty soon he started slobbering on my desk, and he'd wipe it up. And I finally found out that he was actually asking, what is heaven going to be like? I said, it's going to be on, okay, beyond what you ever thought, what you ever saw. The colors are going to be just beautiful. There's going to be nothing but joy. The old nature will be gone, so we'll have nothing but the new nature to worship the, our Lord. We'll have no hindrances. It's going to be beautiful. He just sat there and put his arms down. And you that knew Lee, he was just a wonderful, one of the kindest men I ever know. You want to put a picture down there in the garage where he works so much and be able to say in memory of Lee Blanchard. He's with the Lord. But you know what? Before I ever allowed him to become a member, I said, listen to me. When did you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Was there a personal time that you said, yes, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, come into my life and save me, and turn from your sin to Christ? And he told me he was at a Joshua camp at a Baptist church in Parker, South Dakota. Can you imagine that? Another Bible-believing Baptist church showed him how he could be saved. And he said, I trusted Christ there. I believe we baptized him here. I believe we did. We may not have. He might have been baptized in Parker. But he became a member of our church. And here's why I'm telling you all this. It's because the scriptures make it really clear. And every time you look at Palm Sunday or you read the scriptures again concerning it, I hope you understand that it was nothing but victory. In Jesus Christ saying, I'm a king of a different kind, and I'm coming with meekness and lowliness of heart. I'm not going to come by force. I'm going to come... And I'm going to say, whosoever will can join me. Would you join Jesus? Maybe you haven't.
Maybe you're religious and you've never understood the relationship part of it. It's time to make that commitment this Easter season. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, I hope you understood the message. I want to have an invitation this morning. If God has stirred up your heart, I want to ask a question to you. If you were to die today, where would you go? Have you been thinking about what heaven is like? Have you thought about making that decision to put everything in the hands of Jesus Christ? Because your righteousness isn't good enough. The lowly one is calling you. Come. And maybe this morning you'd be honest and say, Pastor, I'm saved, but I'm not really right with the Lord. I know Jesus Christ, but I'm not right with him. Think about that for a moment. I won't have you raise your hands. Just ask you, how about your heart? But I will ask this. Maybe you're here and you still don't understand salvation completely. And you just want me to pray for you. I will pray for you. Honestly, just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven. But I want to know for sure. Is there anyone who would say, please pray for me? Just lift up your hand, put it back down again. I want someone to show me from the scriptures how I can know for sure. He's there for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet? No one looking around. Let's have an invitation. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.